I'm Alan, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Kaylee, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Danielle. My pronouns are she, her, and you are listening to Target Snark It, a weekly podcast from Broad Digital Consulting. And we are back for another week of Balderdash and Claptrap with the folks here at Target Snarket, a weekly podcast brought to you by Broad Digital Consulting, wherein we talk mess about unethical and irresponsible business and marketing practices, and we dig into ways that we can make them better for everyone. I am one of your hosts who has missed you the most, the CEO at Broad Digital Consulting, Danielle. I'm the senior strat daddy and creative commander, Kaylee. I'm the director of project management and operations at Broad Digital Consulting and published author, Alan Connolly. <laughs> you've, got, you've got your published author glasses on today, too. I really <laughs> like that. I like I how this, this was the one week you decided to play everything straight. That was good. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I was like, you know what would be funny is to like say the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went to thesaurus.com to look up synonyms for nonsense because I like originally I wanted to say bullshit, but that felt really abrasive right out the gate. And then I wanted to say nonsense, but I was like, no, this isn't actually nonsense. And I don't like the idea of like underselling or undervaluing the important work that we do here in this, you know, vanity passion project. Uh, But then I thought (laughs) shenanigans and then shenanigans feels like a word that chuggy people use because like shenanigans. Yes. See, yeah, no, I, I knew, I knew. It had its moment back in like 2008, maybe. So I don't know. Balderdash, Claptrap came up as synonyms and I thought, you know, those might just be perfect. <laughs> so, uh, as I said in the intro, this whole podcast is pretty much predicated on not just calling out bad business and marketing practices, but educating our listeners on different ways to really thoughtfully engage with businesses and their marketing tactics and talk about ways that we can improve upon what exists as the status quo currently by doing the work to make business and marketing more sustainable, humane, ethical, and responsible. And sometimes I know it probably seems like, is that possible to do? Like, how can we continue to work in the system within a system that often feels and is very exploitative uh, and still want better salaries and still want more profit for our businesses, but also hold on to our values and keep our whole soul intact in the process? We are discussing that very question today with someone who has become a real guidepost of sorts for me in the last 14 plus weeks at the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program that we've talked to you about on this pod before. Rod Dauphin is the co-founder for at For the Six Media LLC. He is the Education Services Director for the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program at LaGuardia Community College and has been a serial entrepreneur for the last 22 years, a business advisor for other entrepreneurs for 15 years. Welcome to the pod, Rod. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I need to have a catchy name. I am the, we'll fill in the blank at some point, right? (laughs) Sure, sure. I was really hoping for better improvisation skills right out the gate, but that's fine. That's fine. We won't get there just yet. We got to warm you up It's called a warm-up. Yeah, we got to warm you up first. (laughs) Now, Rod, when you and I first started talking about you coming onto the podcast, I know 
we obviously we were both very very excited about it. We talked about all the different topics that mm-hmm. that we could really discuss. But one of the topics that we really gelled on was this one. And I remember saying like, "Look, I'm not a capitalist. I'm not sure my co-hosts are, but I'm not going to speak for them." I would love a new system, but I also know that this system wasn't made for people who look like any of us, who exist along a lot of marginalized intersections. It wasn't built for us to succeed. Mm -hmm. So you know what? I'll be damned if I'm going to be the person who has to forfeit my hard fought success in the name of being first in line to build a new system. And I know that might sound selfish, but ultimately people of marginalized identities make sacrifices enough routinely in this society. So if we're succeeding in this space, like make that money, right? And and I know you agreed with that. And you had also said that you are a capitalist, but we never really got to discuss that because you also yeah. like made me go back to class and that's fine. So <laughs> really rude. Really um. rude. <laughs> so would you mind talking to us about that today and kind of where where you're coming from uh with regard to capitalism yeah uh great setup for that right because the, the truth is i want to touch really back, back on what you said the marginalized and this is not our system and that's where mm-hmm. the, the the struggle comes in right because if you don't like the system get out but whether where is there a better system right yeah. so if you are able to succeed you know the sacrifices that you have to make and that led towards my epiphany right so as you studied, and one of my one of my master's degrees is in finance, right? The other is in entrepreneurship, and you started realizing that this system is designed to keep you marginalized. How can I support a system that does that? However, the system does still provide avenues for wealth creation, legacy creation. Now to do that. The hustle, hustle culture, which I encourage everyone to go watch that last podcast. It was really good. Thanks. Comes into wow. play. So for me, I believe that everyone should have the ability to make money and gain from their gifts, talents, and abilities without restriction. I do believe that. But a part of me also believes not at the expense, sure. the oppression, the subjugation of others. So, and that's where I'm always that fork in the road. I'm in that middle, like capitalism is great. You know, I'm teaching my, my young children, capitalism, Hey, create this silly to your classmates. Yeah. <laughs> right. But we, we have to be fair as well. So, so in my ecosystem, it's always our philosophy is everyone can eat. If I'm going to lose, use some, you know, urban colloquialisms, everybody's going to eat. So that's how I approach it now. Yes, we can all we can make money, but everyone has to make money together. Yeah. And that's just my yeah. stance on it now in my life. No, I like that. And I, I think it's interesting that you're you're teaching your kids this because like I, I remember telling my husband at one point in time that even when I I the earliest the earliest I can remember being somebody that maybe had an entrepreneurial inclination was when I was like 10 and I was volunteering at this big festival with my church youth group. And we were all supposed to be just like clearing tables in this like mess hall. But then somebody tipped me and I was like, Oh, 
okay, well, I mean, like, I could do something with this. And then, like, another person, like, (laughs) another person was like, oh, hey, sweetheart, like, we're in North Dakota. They're like, can you go get me a beer? They know that a 10-year-old is not ordering a beer for themselves. And then I brought it back and they tipped me. And so I just started waiting tables and walking around and being like, do you guys need anything? Like, at all? Mm -hmm. We're good? Like, they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, this 10-year-old waitress is just, like, here for us. And my youth group director got so mad at me. Like, she was like, you can't do that. And I'm like, I wasn't hurting anyone. Yeah. I'm in a church group. Right. Right. Yeah. Part of prohibition, just moving alcohol across. <laughs> just like, they gave this freely of themselves, you yeah, know? Right. Like, of course. No, so, I no. I think that it is something that, that, yeah, you can do. Because also, like, despite this, you know, like, nearly 30 years ago now, Like it never occurred to me as a business builder that other people would have to fail in order for me to succeed. Like it never occurred to me that nobody else on my team, I remember asking my youth group director when she got mad at me, I was like, well, everybody else can do this too. I'm happy to bring everybody in on my game. Like that's fine. (laughs) You know, it never occurred to me that I, I needed to corner the market that I couldn't share that wealth. So I think that's a, a really interesting way of approaching that too. Yeah, it's um, – don't get me started because we all are affiliated with media, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I just think that's just the messaging pushed out there that that this is this competition that for me to succeed, you must fail, right? When the, when the reality of it is, is we both can win, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. We both can win. So to that point, I find – again, I'm still laughing because I'm looking – I'm picturing 30 10-year-olds in North Dakota – you know, smuggling alcohol, right, and other contrabands. But, but you know, going back to my children, for me, and, and the word marginalized is just ringing in my head, so forgive me, right? Because when we talk about this capitalism and marginal, it just really speaks to me. I had to teach my children the game as young mm-hmm. as – professionally, I work with business owners, multimillionaires, fine. But I have to teach my kids this game because if you don't play it, Right. Where does it leave you now? And society is not kind. You yeah. know, that, that's one of the side effects. America's great. But then one of the side effects is if you're not playing the game, you, you get what I'm saying? Almost the game is going to play you. Yeah. So to that point, um, I, I hear what you're saying, but I do believe there's a ch- there is a win win. I do believe there is a win win. Now, there will be a certain faction that doesn't control the market that won't have a half a billion dollar yacht. You'll have a quarter of a billion dollar yacht, and, and you know, so there is some peace that we'll have to give, but I do believe we have a chance for a win-win, and that's that's what I'm striving for. Well, and I think, you know, I like, look, like, you've listened to enough of the pod to know you've known me for long enough to know that, like, I'm, uh, you know, I am not, and we as a group are not really bought into the, like, boss babe hustle culture like you know let's uh like high high vibe high frequency like there's a lot of this stuff that feels like it was created primarily it was created for profit by white people uh stealing from other cultures and Mm -hmm, stealing mm -hmm. from other mindsets so that they could profit on instagram right but i also think that one of the things that like it as somebody who has been in an MLM before, 
it's it's where I first heard the concept of scarcity mindset. And so that always makes me kind of bristle at it because I know like how mm-hmm. toxic that that whole space is and was. But also I feel like that is what capitalism thrives on is this scarcity mindset is this belief that, you know, there isn't going to be enough for all of us. And I remember thinking when I first started this business, I asked a a friend of mine who is still in business for herself for some pointers because she'd already launched hers. And I remember like, like reassuring her, like, I'm not going to steal your trade secrets. I'm not going to go after your clients. And she's like, Danielle, there's enough businesses in this town for all of us. And that was back in Denver, you know? And Mm -hmm. so like, she just had no problem sharing everything. And every time that I start to, to feel like, no, mine, like, like I'm a bridge troll about like hoarding, you know, (laughs) prospects and like clients and ideas. I remember like how much stronger we are Mm -hmm. when, when we do focus on succeeding together and when we do believe that there's enough to go around and it feels like, you know, we get rewarded when we think that way. So, so like, I don't want to take us on tangents because you're dropping so many uh, points <laughs> that I could just Sorry. expand on, right? Because um, ultimately, we're, we're, this is leading towards being value driven, right? In the pursuit of ca- you know your capital gains, as opposed to losing morality and ethics, right? But when you mentioned the hustle culture, and I love that last episode. Unfortunately, I do believe in my community and, and in a lot of communities. Let me just say mine. It, there's a place for it. Like because the system is so strong, so established, so well built, it's almost impossible to to get to a point where you can stand on just your morals and values and principles, right? You can stand on we can share. It's hard to share when you're not bringing anything to the table, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's almost to, to to what you said. It's been architected, if that's a word, right? So that. It's weaponized, but the reality of it is, is we are in a fight. So choose your weapon of choice now. You, you get what I'm saying? And that's just how I'm looking at it a little bit based on those, the, what we're talking about. Uh, but to your point, there is enough for everyone. So I have several programs. The point is to your point is to get to people, young people, young enough to demystify to break down this persona that is driven down to us of the hustle culture and create collaboration as early as possible. So you have hustle culture. I'm going to create collab culture where we're just, let's do this together because our 10 cents a piece creates a dollar. And maybe now together we can exponentially grow that. Uh, So I do think if we can get to enough people, if media drives this message, if, Thought leaders and business leaders drive this message of collaboration because the word in business is competition, mm. right? Mm-hmm. If we drive mm-hmm. collaboration as a uh, overarching word, not as a word, as a subword within competition, but make it the bigger word, you know, I, I'm hoping then we can realize there's enough for everyone. The U.S. government prints money. <laughs> like, right. there's no shortage of this. Let's stop. Right, right. <laughs> Well, it's like I'm thinking about like the difference when you're ha- have you ever like played a recreational sport with people and like there are you can feel the difference um, like as an athlete or whatever between someone who's like fiercely competitive to the point where it's like not fun. It's like mm-hmm. you're actually being a jerk. You are faking like I played I played um, collegiate soccer and I was like you you fake fell like we are not. <laughs> 
in the World Cup right now. Like, you know, and now you're mad. You're red. Like, you know, versus someone who is like competitive, but they're fun. They're laughing. Mm -hmm. They're like, that was fun. What are you doing? I'm going to try that. I'm going to show you this cool thing I did. Right. Like, and, and I'm really feeling that from, from what you're saying. So I was going to say that I'm a former college football player. Okay. Yeah. So the benefit that I have is in college football, it's all about internal competition for one, the betterment of the team two, the betterment of the individual. So mm-hmm. it's a tool used for individuals. So you welcome competition as a mm-hmm. form of getting better, but it's still collaboration. So to your point, there are people that are fiercely competitive that don't think about others and you kind of don't want to rock with them. Yeah. But then there are what we call those leaders that the way they carry themselves in competition, inspire, motivate, makes you want to work with them. And it creates a it creates a winning organization when you have yeah. and that comes back to some of the values when we get down to like what are you really what are we really about and what do we really want to see in this society? But again, I would have loved to have seen you play soccer. <laughs> it was fun. But I, I got really, really injured towards the end. I don't know what collegiate football was like, but they were working my body hard by the end there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, speaking of values, this goes greatly into what Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you because I would love to know um, from your expert opinion, like what you mean when you talk about values, you know, Um, because I I think like we hear like a lot of value driven driven things in business, like I care about the climate um, or whatever, but actually personal values are like much more nuanced, I feel like, and, and, and specific and granular, Mm -hmm. like someone who cares about the climate crisis, like their individual value could be equity or it could be spiritual, you know, it could be like, I care about the natural world. So yeah. Could you speak to that a little bit? So, so expert is very gracious. I appreciate that. Right. Uh, (laughs) but so, It really, so for me, I can speak to me, right? Because you said it's very nuanced and very specific. For me, as I had to make questions, I had to make decisions, family or money. Uh, Kaylee, I think I heard you speak in the last episode about your father couldn't even go up the driveway and get, you know, go without three business calls. I had to come to that crossroad. (laughs) And then I had to ask myself, well, what do I value? Because on one hand, I want my children to go to the best colleges because I know that's what it's going to take for, you know, kids that look like me. You know, you just can't go to ABC University and think you're going to compete. Sure. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I have to, I have to make certain sacrifices to afford them those opportunities. Or did I, did I value family? Did I value character? Did I fa- value leadership? So when we come to value, I think more of on the soft side, the interpersonal side, like what is it that, what am I about? My integrity. My citizenship, because I do believe in being a good citizen. So we've done Boy Scouts. And so the value really became, when I look in the mirror, can I, do I like who I see? Yeah. Does my gut tell me I've compromised myself? And that's just on a, on a very personal level. Now, if we graduate that to a business level, you can't remove the personal. Sure. And that's whether an employee 
right? Because as an employee, you leave organizations eventually or you start doing unscrupulous things when they butt with your values, which is maybe respect, trustworthiness, truthfulness. These are words that we don't talk about enough. And I love this podcast because it's reaching a broad audience to let them know these words have weight. Mm -hmm. They have a tremendous amount of weight. And what you'll notice is uh, as nuanced as they are, there are shared values, right? Um, There's a reason why Danielle and I connected because without speaking, you saw that human uh, human life meant meant so much in the way we conducted ourselves and the way we treat people. So that's actually one of my tips is to really get back and say what what do I value from in within myself and what and what's that message? And then you'll start to notice as you proceed. And for those who are entrepreneurs, those values have to have to permeate your organization. Because yep. like a sports team, those values will get people to take ownership of the organization, which is what every business owner wants, right? Going back, if you, if you permit me, going back to playing football, I, I'm writing a book, The Sports and Business. Every athlete takes ownership of the team. Mm-hmm. Almost every athlete, this is my team. No, it's the university's team. You're there for one to five years. Yeah. But yeah. it's done a good enough job that there's enough of us that have shared values that the physical construct means nothing. It's the interpersonal construct that means everything. So as an entrepreneur, you have to understand what you value, especially if you want to have sustainability in this day and age and just permeate that through your organization. I hope I answered your question. Oh, yeah. I loved I I love that distinction between like I never thought about that. It is the university's team, technically. Right. But you don't say that. You say my team, my teammate. And it's like you're in this organizational structure that has connected with you so deeply that now it becomes yours and creating that within a business structure I I mean I would venture to guess would create a lot of success and I think too you know this is we talk a lot as well about like we have all been a part of what we've talked about like toxic small business owner culture when people, you know, who are small business owners, like I've encountered so many of them over the course of, of my adulthood, where uh, people just want to call themselves small business owners at the expense of actually like seeing who is making their business succeed, who on their team is doing this. I've seen it too many times and seen uh, owners be really abusive to their teams as a result of that. And when I think about like values, like I think about, you know, I had started this as a lifestyle business. This was not meant for something that was going Mm -hmm. to scale. And -hmm. then it did. And we came together and, you know, while we haven't necessarily like documented those values, we have these ongoing discussions about values on our team. And I think that that is honestly one of the most important things a small business owner could do with their teams is to have that that ongoing discussion and make sure that there's stewardship across the organization because mm. there there will come a day. There has been many days like this in in our team working together where I start to fall into scarcity mindset. And I let clients run over us 
in ways that are not healthy and not aligned with our values because I am terrified that if we cut them loose, we may not have something to back it back up. And I'm trying, I'm focused on the value of like, I want to make sure that I have payroll available for my team. I care about my team. Mm -hmm. But then my team comes to me and says, look, I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to find a replacement. This client is not aligned with our values. And sometimes they have to beat me over the head with it. Mm -hmm. But like, we have never experienced a time where they have said, we need to cut this loose. This doesn't align with us where we cut them loose and either something better doesn't come along or we teach that client how to treat us better. So you you said a lot. There's a lot to um, unpack and I can see from 10 years old, you've still been working, right? So <laughs> I'm never going to let that go. But to, the, to that point, right? So we, I think in the program, we taught you very early on, what is it, 65 or 67%, a third of businesses succeed past 10 years, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's exactly to that point. It's you're a business owner. You are, you are generating revenue. You are pr- producing a product to the community. However, you are destroying the process and the process is people. The process mm-hmm. is people with steps, technical tools and all that. And you won't survive. You just, you, you won't. Uh, it's, it's, impo- it's impossible. So you have to, especially as a small business owner. So you do have to have some level of your values transparent, right? I'm looking at your screen right now and I see the green and I don't know if you're home or not, but I probably feel like this is important to you. And so the whole organization knows that we're probably organic eating, we're very health conscious, we recycle. These are things that are visible in an organization if an owner decides to make them visible. And the key is having employees want, want to work with you, right? Now, what happens is this, their values are there. You have people that value what you do. And if you studied psychology, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you've created an organization that allows them to reach self-actualization. The client experiences this. When the client experiences this, your brand gets strengthened. Now, those who are seeking agencies, and agencies in the plural, not just marketing, that have these value systems that they can trust, they tend to start to excel. Now, keep in mind, there's no foolproof recipe, right? You still need some other things. But to your to your point, it almost goes unspoken. You just know. But what I encourage people to do, make it visible. Pronounce it to the world. This is what we stand for. And you can see right now in society, all these major corporations are seeking organizations that do what? Put a stamp of what they believe in on, and mm-hmm. on their name. And they're almost making these larger organizations bend to them. Right? And to your and you know, but I get you with the scarcity mindset, because that's a word you've mentioned. A lot. There's not enough. And the, the truth is, this capitalist structure is still built on competition, right? So there's enough for all of us. But is there enough time? Is there enough resources? There's so many other things that we're limited on that it takes a very strong individual that is almost unyielding. I'm not going to say healthcare culture, but unyielding in their faith, their values to succeed. And keep yeah. some level of ethics and morals without taking cheat codes like, you know, lying to your customer and selling this and, you know, stuff like that. Sure. Kaylee, 
I'm something interviewing you now. Say- <laughs> <laughs> something you've been saying a lot throughout the episode sure. is just like, there's enough for all of us and we can all win. There doesn't have to be win or lose, but I guess that's also entirely dependent on what people's mindset is of winning. If it's like, I'm going to have all of the money. No, <laughs> I think you are going to burn out so fast, but if your goal or your, the win for you is, I know for my dad, we talked about him. I'll bring him back up. His goal is if he drops dead tomorrow, we will be fine. That's what he would be happy with. That's why he's choosing to work until he drops dead. Like if that's tomorrow, if it's in 10 years, that's going to be what winning is for him. So it's just kind of interesting to see how entrepreneurs that maybe their value are more dollar driven versus actually thinking about where that dollar is going. For example, you say back into your community and putting the money back kind of into the system that we do live in um, versus someone who a lot of unicorn entrepreneurs are just looking to be the best person, the top person, that number one, the Zuck, the Elon things to that extent. So it's interesting. I like that you said that. With your permission, I'll challenge it a little bit. Please. But I agree with it. So it's challenging it, but in a very positive way. So I don't believe everyone says they want all the money. I, I just, I don't believe everyone I've actually is driven by saying I want all of the money. I think people are driven by, I want to make as much as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I, I've, I didn't mention, I used to be an adjunct professor. And I used to teach organizational behavior. And there's a term called, uh, I think it's a two-factor theory. So money can never be a sustainable motivator, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's always just going to be replaced by something different, right? Uh, Even the people that like, look at Zuckerberg. He's doing MMA now, (laughs) right? So it's always going to be replaced (laughs) by something. So I think people are driven to make as much as, as they want. And there's something underpinning that. By by Mark, I don't know him. I can't speculate, but I would think he just wanted to push the envelopes of technology and whatever happened from there happened from there, right? Uh, I think we all have that, but we all know to – well, I had a mentor once say to me, if you don't have money, you, don't have, you, don't, you can't think of opportunities. So I think it's just a case of we're just going to keep trying uh, to what Danielle is saying. And I think this conversation is there's a way we can actually create this own circular system where – if we pour back, more is given to us, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's what a scarcity is. If if I don't, if I give back here, less is given to me. Well, if you become wealthy and you start doing taxes, you realize one of the biggest tax breaks is philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you start looking at the DNA of successful uh, uh, executives and entrepreneurs, philanthropy is a huge part of that giving back. So I just think not enough of the middle tier understand that and now it's just the the fight you know and when we start fighting each other scarcity it's a race to the bottom not to the top per se Mm -hmm. hopefully that made sense i'm just so excited by this no that totally makes sense so we have talked on the pod a lot about um businesses who claim to have certain values or they're leveraging social justice in their marketing but then you look at their track record and their hiring or wage equity or how they treat their black or queer employees is not equal to what they're talking about Mm -hmm. um so it's not just entrepreneurs but for everyone in business how do you recommend trying to marry that gap and especially it feels like an uphill battle when you have those limited resources we were just talking about so you hit a sore spot for me oh right only because 
I see it. I see those who preach what they don't practice. And, mm-hmm. you know, to, to put it in layman's terms. And it always hurts because who loses in that? The employees, the community, yep. right? And, 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 the, and the truth is the system is meant to design to punish anyone who goes against, right, the, the status quo per se. The way you gain influence within an organization, believe it or not, is through social capital, right? There's a term called social power where you have the power to influence and lead people. So what you do is you create a brand of yourself within, like if you're a big organization, like for example, I'm the education services director at, uh, for Goldman Sachs at LaGuardia Community College, but my outside community is just as strong. So if I make a recommendation, it's almost like advocacy. I'm making, making recommendations saying, listen, I represent this community outside of here. Sure. Mm-hmm. So now I'm creating leverage. I'm taking you as CEO and bringing you on par with me. And so for the, if you're, cause you said middle management, if you're middle management mm-hmm. and this is something that you really are passionate about, that passion should not be in the context of your seat in your office. That passion should be clear outside of the office. Sure. You, you get what I'm saying? So it's not enough to say, oh, we yeah. should do this. And then I'm not really. So you yourself also have to be one that practices it. Cause mm-hmm. then it does create some level of, leverage to say, hey, CEO this, CEO that, or senior this, senior that. I think this is because I have my hand on the pulse because outside of it, this is, and I think that's what we have to start doing. So the answer to your question is, I'm I'm going to start less with the how to move the organization and more about how to create communities within communities because those have the power to topple organizations down. Right. And so mm-hmm. now it, it creates this. So there's so it's just as a society alone, that's where we go back to capitalism. Some people are stuck on the dollar. And so, and I believe so few people are thinking community. That's what we're losing this race a little bit. Yeah. You know, and that's just my, my thoughts and my two cents. And that's, that's what I do. And that's what I recommend. If this is something you're passionate about. Have a voice outside the organization and bring that voice into your organization. Oh, I'm so obsessed with that. Like, I really, really love it a lot because it is it, it, it is part of the circular thing you brought up earlier, right? Because then you're pouring yourself into your community that you then bring with you into meetings or advocacy yeah. um, for that same community mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, within the organization. <clears throat> and it's almost like it's almost like there's this bringing anti-capitalist sentiment into capitalist structures because honestly community i mean capitalism is as it is now fiercely individualistic um and it's like bringing community and and that importance of that into the structure here and it's almost like creating a mix i mean i'm sure you know way more than i do about capitalism in general and mixed Mm -hmm. economy and things like that Mm -hmm. i did a little bit of research before talking to you but like i think that's really really cool yeah. So again, I don't believe capitalism to be a bad. So the way we this this country was originally established was pure capitalism because we don't live in a pure capitalist society. I don't know if we're aware right, of that. Right. Government has a lot of intervention, and that's the mm-hmm. fight against that. But in a pure capitalist, that's when you have the few that have and the many that don't have, right? But I do believe, again, if we're all entrepreneurial thinking, which capitalism does drive innovation, believe it or not, it has yeah. its points. It drives, it drives innovation. Whether you like where that innovation goes, so be it. But I'm glad mm-hmm. I have a cell phone 
and I don't have, I no longer have a rotary phone, right? I'm old, you know, I was in college before Google came out, mm-hmm. right? And now if I have a conversation, oh, then yeah, that's a good question, Google, and I'm an expert, right? So I think <laughs> capitalism has its place. I think what I would love to do is disseminate the walls that capitalism has built, right? That's my biggest fight. Capitalism has created these walls that make it almost impenetrable for you to join the party now, mm-hmm. right? It's available to you, but it's not available to you, right? I want you yeah. to come, but don't come. Right. That's what I want to fight is the people that control the gatekeepers. And now let's yeah. sprinkle capitalism into our communities where it's like, think entrepreneurially, fund this, make the money, create a partnership overseas with another country, fair trade, all of these things that can still happen. But I think as more of a society, and I'm not an expert on this, we just think of capitalism as, uh, you know, everything at the expense of others, uh, which has some merit, right? But I do believe if it can be funneled in a way, to your point, that creates this circular where everybody wants to wear, there's an entire country that doesn't have a high homeless rate, that doesn't have a high incarceration rate, Right. That doesn't have uh, the level of pollution that we have. And I think we can do that uh, with, with, you know, without being completely a, a country governed by the government. Sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's interesting to think about, too, when you talk about uh, you brought up the you know limitations of time and resources and things mm-hmm. like that. I think about the fact that, you know, we talk about sort of the haves, the have nots, and we don't necessarily have this purely capitalist society that there is government intervention. And it almost seems like we're we're hamstrung in this place where some of this government intervention is 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 not just necessary in order to you know regulation of, of different industries so that the industries don't run around completely like unregulated and able to to do whatever they want to society. That's really important. I also think though that like in in some aspects, in many aspects, I don't feel like it does we've done enough when we talk about being able to give people not just equity, but more resources. You talked about like capitalism provides um, some of these resources for us to be able to go out and and make money and build things. And I think about, you know, in, in my head, the, the single mom who's working two jobs, who's supporting, you know, her three kids, who doesn't have a car, who can't necessarily make rent, who has brilliant ideas and is so talented. But when the hell does she have time or energy? And energy is a resource, like, as a chronically ill person, that's a real thing. Like, mm-hmm. whether or not you you have energy to be able to tackle something, even if you have the time, uh, can, can be an impediment. So, you know, seeing the, the places that I feel like we could go as a society if people didn't have to worry about basic health care, if people actually knew that they could pay their bills, what innovation could that breed as well to have this sort of still same like capitalist structure where you do have the tools to be able to go out and, and earn without restriction but you also, it wasn't a system that was that was predicated on, on making sure that there was a group of people that didn't have these things, that kept, that stayed cogs in the wheel. Like, where do you, I don't, I'm trying to formulate this into a question. I, I am really 
driven by like what the solution there is, because I understand that, you know, when we put too much faith in any one entity or body, it's not good for us. I I look around at the government and I'm like, well, what have you all done for me lately? Right? Like, what have you done for any of us here on this call lately? There are, I think I talked about it in class, the the ill-advised way that legislators are going after digital advertising and like targeting inside of these spaces because they don't understand it very well. And so they're attacking it in the only way that they know to understand it instead of actually trying to solve the problem creatively that benefits everybody. And so I, I do believe that giving, just like throwing money at the problem or giving too much power to one one entity is problematic, but like, how do we start to bridge that gap and and give people back these resources that could actually really improve us as a society? I don't have the answer. I don't think anybody has the answer. I can tell you what my opinion is, right? Because I can make an argument for the single mom with three kids, pro and against. Now, the against, my, my consciousness won't let me make it. But there can be questions that are that are asked, like, you know, what, when, what led, da, 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 right? But for me, there's a quote by Frederick Douglass. I'm big on education, hence why I'm in this program, always educating, educating. Frederick Douglass once said, teach a slave to read and he's no longer fit to be a slave. I think if we give people all access to, the, to your point, basic things, healthcare and education, I think the game changes. Mm-hmm. I think the game just changes. If I don't have to... If I am mentally ill, I can get help. I know growing up the way I grew up, I didn't I'm not I didn't come from money. I knew wow, $40 copay was significant or $30 copay or $20 copay or whatever time it was. It was significant. Mm-hmm. It was very significant to to my family. I teach at a college or I taught at a college where the average family made $25,000 a year. So I knew that was tough and then access to the right education right? Mm-hmm. Free education that's good for all. One of the things, and, and, and if you allow me to touch on this, and I hope it's tangible to what you were saying, uh, my, I have children. I did not put my children in community school. I said, mm-hmm. I will not do it. Not in New York City, at least. Not a chance in the world. So they started off in a charter school, which is, you know, part private public, so to speak. You're still yeah. regulated by the city, but, you know, you can get some private funding for the school. And immediately, uh, I think around when my son hit fifth grade, we transferred to a private school on the west side in Manhattan. What I noticed, and this almost speaks to the hustle culture, in that public school, hustle culture, read, 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 grade, 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 test. In the private school, critical thinking, critical thinking, critical thinking, take your time. Mm-hmm. All three of my children go to private school, and what they're being taught is how to think, how to be creative, how to be innovative how to collaborate, how, how to think of the world in a global perspective. And I still, I still live in my community because I want my money to circulate in my community, but I see what those kids are given. Read this, we test you on this, we move on. There's no debriefing, which for those of you who've ever debriefed a conversation, that's where the learning comes in, right? 50% of your learning comes from discussion. Like if you can discuss something, you retain 50% of it. If you can teach it, you retain 90% of it. And so for me, I feel, to your point, if we're seeing that capitalism has this place and we're saying, where can this change? Because we can't always trust in the government. What can the government do? Which will hurt the private institutions, right? Which will hurt the Harvards and the school that can charge you $60,000 for a year. If we sure. can make 
access to good education free or affordable, then that allows a community to lift themselves up. It's Mm -hmm. hard to think when you don't know how to think. I just want you to ponder that. It's hard to think when you don't know how to think. Because then what happens? You're subject to what people tell you to think. Just process that. And so I think education is critical. And then the ability for me to know if I don't feel well, I can go to a hospital. I can see a doctor. I can see a therapist. I can see a counselor. That means I can I can keep my relationship whole, right? Right now, at least in certain marginalized communities, the ones I know I'm from, healthcare, mental health, these are all ancillary. To your point, mm-hmm. I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. If I could give you an answer, it's, Please give these 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 people access to a good education. Teachers should be given, you know, some advocates in the first line, whether it's a pandemic or not. These are first line individuals. Yeah. Right? So there's some. It's where do we want to invest? Right? I understand we have the greatest military force. Can a little bit of that money? Yeah. Go into. Out at the Pentagon. So next, I'm saying it again. <laughs> right, you know, again, I don't know enough, but I just know I know there's money, and I know we print dollars. Yeah. Right, because our money is based on faith, on good faith, and the fact that the U.S. economy will never collapse, and we can back our debt. Can we just put a little bit there? I, I, my son right now speaks. So my son has played four or five sports. I think right now he's testing around 1,300 on his SAT. Uh, he speaks Mandarin. Clearly, I'm not, you know, from any part of Asia. Right, I speak a whole different language in my house, and I now am faced with the decision: if you don't get a scholarship, son, I can't send you to the university of your choice. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have three children; I can't pay forty thousand yep. dollars per year. For so, you know, these are the things that become decisions we have to make. So, we sacrifice the very necessities that would allow us, as a community, to pull ourselves out. Right. On another podcast, I'll tell you how I think that's all deliberate and architected, but, uh, you know, I don't want to create any political turmoil (laughs) right now. No, I I mean, I think it's, I think it's something that it's, you know, I think all four of us here are probably (laughs) overeducated and, and had access to, to that education, you know, um, whether, whether we fought for it, paid for it, had it paid for, you know, the, we have the privilege of that education, um, no matter no matter how it came about. And I, I do think that there is there is a point at which you know you you get that education, and it's tough to look around. It, it still took me decades, not until very recently, to look around and say like this does feel architected in some ways to prevent people from getting that education. It's the reason that I have always believed in public schools, not, not to, not to challenge your point, but actually to augment your point that if we cared more about public schools, if we invested more in, I'm, I'm a product of public education, but I went to a private school for my college degree and, and I've seen the difference in, I definitely got taught how to think in university. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, yeah, reinvesting in those spaces is going to be going to be critical. Yeah. But I also understand why people are, again, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about. Like, I'm not going to give up my ability to make money just because a new system needs to be made. I'm not going to put my children at risk of getting a potentially yeah. worse education 
just because we as a society haven't invested properly in public schools yet, even though I believe that's what we should do. So I was faced with the challenge of I am I am Haitian American. You could identify me as black in the United States, right? Do I take my kids out of a school in my own community where people look like them and edify them and they see teachers that look like them? But I know for a fact that edu- the education, the way it's being delivered, is compromising you emotionally. And if you're stunted emotionally, your confidence is shot. Then it's hard for you. And so I actually had to say, dang, I have the ability and I got to take you out of our community to give you access to something that to me should be widely available. And that's just quality, you know, education. But that goes back to if we go to the genesis of all this, if you start peeling back the layers, why can't we? Like, mm-hmm. why can't all these schools have this, the computers? Like, what's it going to, who loses money? Like, who's actually losing money? That's why we just all started with, it's designed to say, there's not enough, fight for it, right? So I can get the most out of you and just churn this machine. But the reality of it is we can print money. There is enough money because the dollars you have mean nothing. We don't have dollars in our hand. We have cards. We don't see money anymore. Now to fight that, we are the consumers. Consumers have a great deal of power now. A great deal of power. When I was growing up, it was you go to a store, you have no other options. The salesperson could be as rude to you as they want. Now with competition, now there's a fight for my dollar and my voice and my brand. I've used my social media to go against companies. One company in particular that didn't do what I liked. I said, okay, fine. Great. I got 10,000 friends on Facebook. Let's just tag you here. Sure. Send this message out. <laughs> sure. But to, to, to that point, I think uh, that's why I say it's always going to come back to also building communities that are self-sustaining because it's really about the circulation of dollar, not the increase of the dollar. Yeah. Right. Because I can as long as my as long as I continue to have money you know, and it grows, but it can grow within my community before, you know, or get money to come out of another community, pour into mine. All these other little economic means. But I wanted to go what to Kaylee said it and forgive me, Kaylee. We talked about it fifteen minutes ago. You talked yeah. about value. I think that's part of the thing and as I try to become wiser. When is enough enough? When is good enough good enough? Like I, yeah. I no longer need to be a billionaire. Right? Yeah. I have to define like what do I really value? My, me, I just want to be able to take a plane hop all my kids on there and not worry about the flight ticket. If that ticket mm-hmm. makes me feel like I got to stop <laughs> eating for the next few weeks, that's the problem. But I want to get to a point where I can create a legacy and within the construct of the system, my children's children can go to school based on my efforts. Right. And I think we all have to come to a point of, well, what will give us both the balance in our lives? Right. Cause finance is a zero sum game by definition. Right. To give, you gotta to get, you gotta give up something. It's zero sum. So I think to me, for me at least, I started realizing what do I value, what do I care about, what's my ultimate goal, um, and that has really swayed the way I I operate now and who I work with and what I say and how proudly I stand on certain things. Yeah, yeah, and you know, speaking of of that, like, do you have any? clues yourself that you use to help you to know when you are acting out of values outside of your values like what clues you in and then what do you do 
yeah. to kind of realign yourselves? What lengths do you go to in order to do so, right? Like, do you give up that job, you know, for example? Mm-hmm. So, so I have, again, we talked about some arch, overarching values. I have some adjectives that have to be described of how I conduct myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so I actually have check-ins. From a professional perspective, I'll go to a Danielle. How was that? Did I say anything? How do you feel? Danielle has seen me do it actually when you all made fun of me. Right? Everyone made fun of me. I said, wait a minute, I gotta be conscious of this. Cause I, I believe in inclusivity. Right? So whether I understand it or not, the effort is to understand it, right? So I actually create external people professionally and personally that check my conduct. Interesting. Is is very important for me because I the positions I aspire to hold. The position I do hold, and more importantly, the position I hold in my children's life are very important to me. So for me, my name mm-hmm. means a lot. So professionally, I have certain things that people have to speak about. Um, I think when Danielle came, I said, we're going to be human. So this is a business program, but you're going to see I'm going to emphasize more the humanity of being human beings in business. And don't worry, we'll fill in the gaps. Okay. I'm, we're smart enough to do that, right? So I create adjectives. That if I don't hear it coming from people when they start talking, I have to now go to my team and say, hey, how am I delivering this? What's not happening? Because I don't hear them saying, wow, this was really reflective. This was really touching. This allowed me to look at myself. Danielle even said one moment, this allowed me to look. These are things that I value, right? And so I create key adjective words that if I don't hear this repeated back to me from people who've been around me long enough, I'm not demonstrating it. And as a leader... Unfortunately, my job is to be intentional. An employee, their job is to function. My job is to be intentional in, in coming across. That's the difference. Uh, and then, so that's how I check myself. And then, you know, outside, I have people that know me. Rod, this was this post is out of character. Or Rod, we need you to say something. I have people that, community, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you can't grow in isolation is a term. So I created communities that allowed me to check me um, and say, Rob, we need your voice here. But especially if I'm working with other entrepreneurs, I have particular words I need to hear them say back to me to let me know that I am displaying, right? The adjective is a description of my verb. So I want them to describe my action, right? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to go do that. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see it. You know, Uh, was I patient? Uh, Was I insensitive? Was I too jokey? You know, and I go to scholars all the time. Hey, how was it for you? How'd you feel with this? I always ask. And then I read, you know, because I want to know. And that's the athlete in me. The, The former football player, I am trained to hear the most berating comments back, peel through it and see the the, excuse me, the essence of it and then apply it to become yeah. better. I think for everybody. And it, you know, it's one of the reasons that we talk about like our biggest mistakes on this podcast too, is we're trying to normalize this idea that you're not going to get it right all the time. Uh, you know, I am, I am a firm believer that part of the problem with division, you know, I come from a family, from a background where the worst thing that you could possibly be is wrong. And (laughs) it took me a long time to get to a place where I could not only accept being wrong, 
but I could welcome being told that I was wrong. And it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that it doesn't like hit my ego in, in a rough way. It doesn't mean that like, I now am made of Teflon and can move forward without self-doubt and rethinking things. But it does mean that like I have had to intentionally make a practice out of taking a deep breath and saying, man, they told you you were wrong and you're still standing. You're still here. You're still alive. Your life isn't over. You haven't lost everything because you were wrong. So now what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. How like check in with myself and say like, do, what do I feel in this moment? Not just the hurt, but like, is this something that I should listen to? How can I bridge the gap between these two things? And when you talk about like having people, having adjectives that you need to hear and having people give you that sometimes probably like feedback that doesn't feel so great I think a lot of people think of like thick skin as something where you just don't have feelings and like you're not vulnerable to it and like you can let it like bounce off you no problem and that it's just something some people are born with. But in my experience, it's a muscle I've had to exercise and work over and over and over again. And you know what? My feelings never become smaller. I feel a lot of things and they're all really big. I've just had to learn to remind myself that feelings aren't fact, that, you know, they're, they're a narrative that we're telling ourselves. And so I think that if you're gonna, if you're going to, to have people do that, like you have to be ready to listen to them too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that essence of what you're saying is how do you position yourself to actually take this information in yeah. Not internalize it as a as a uh, attack on you, but actually materialize it as a tool, yeah. right? Uh, and so, and we teach that, right? Uh, for me, again, having played sports, you know, it, it becomes a motivator. I can't. You say I can't do this. I will. You say I'm that. I will show you. Uh, but the reality of it is this. I had a I had a scholar one time. We call the business owners in our program scholars, right? Because they receive a scholarship to the program. So for Danielle was assistant, we call her Queen Danielle. Oh hell the queen, right? Oh hell the queen, right? <laughs> Obviously, right? No, but but I had a scholar, and we take evaluations at the end. So we always make scholars, and we we and I read them, and we read them, and they're anonymous. And um, one scholar just wrote this. The way it berated the entire team, everyone got upset. Everyone got upset. And I said, well, wait a minute. Is this person lying? We don't like how they said it. Is what they said a lie? So let's focus on that. Right? And I could teach, you know, and so you have to create your own coping mechanisms. You have to create your own checklist of how you dissect information. Uh, cause not everybody can give me feedback. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I because <laughs> some, some people are just not looking for my best interest. Right. Right. And then I can, so not every, who's giving me feedback, the context of the feedback, if you're creating a formula for this, right, is important. So if you are a scholar in the program, we don't have a personal relationship on the, on the onset. You're a stranger. I'm a stranger. So now. 
you can give feedback and have to realize in the context of this environment, that feedback may have validity because this is not about the relationship. So I don't have to worry about who's giving it to me. I have to worry about what's the, con- what's the, what's the structure of this relationship. And this is a business transaction. So now let's see, because this may have ripple effects. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also what is the actual to, to the genesis of it? What is the feedback, right? So who context, what, and funny enough, that's like the formula for feedback when you when you learn it. The closer somebody is, to, that's another. I used to teach, so, but I look at the what now, and I look for the merits in the what. And lastly, is I have a filter, right? So going back to the who, the context, you don't live with me, you don't know me. This is just words, which is why pin going back to the education and building the emotional IQ you can now have that filter. Because I work with, I've worked with over 1,400 business owners. And not all of them liked me. But <laughs> I, I, I don't go home with you. You have no vested interest in my success. None. Now, it's one business owner I worked with, in the context I worked with, them, had a vested, vested interest in, hey, you succeed. No, they were there to receive a service. So I also not only contextualize the, environment but contextualize the relationship and I don't give it weight and that's hard to do that's a lot of counseling that's a lot of you know looking at yourself and and removing the imposter syndrome uh, which hurts almost everyone owners employees it doesn't matter and realizing I did the best I could this is how I can get better if there's an error that I made and an apology is warranted then we do that uh, but this, this I have my checklist Right, that allowed me to say, okay, this person's feedback has nothing to do with me. Yeah. Right? This person is upset. I don't like how they spoke to me. But now this is the challenge that I have because the community that I grew up in, you, you have to watch what you say. In the in the community I want to live in, give this person space. Give them sure. their space. Uh, and at the end of the day, I will check in. Are you okay? I've done it to you, Daniel. I think the last two days. Are you okay? Yeah. yeah I walk away and I just come back. You know what I mean? So it's it's yeah. you have to create your own checklist on how can you handle this, and not and not internalize it and go home and make yourself feel like the worst person in the world. Right. And and what I've noticed in my practice of this and in sharing people how to do this. They tend to not be appreciative because now they know where they stand, what they're seeing, and now they have the the landscape that they can control their movements. When you internalize it, you're held captive and you can't go anywhere and you're bedridden, metaphorically speaking. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Did I did I kind of yeah, I'm gonna... no, this is, this is <laughs> truly this is fantastic. This is a really, really lovely conversation. I do want I, I, before we jump into, you know, sort of uh, closing remarks, action items, your worst story ever. Uh, I have one thing that I know we touched on a lot while I was going through the 10,000 small businesses program that really was meaningful to me um, that I know is is something that's that's close to your heart, too, is, you know, OK you're teaching these entrepreneurs how to succeed in business, make your money. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, we've talked a lot about values. 
one of those things that we touched on was how we can start giving back to our communities. Yes, make the money, but also your success is not just rooted in that money. Your success legacy can be, you know, that community building aspect. So I'd love for you to, to sort of speak to that, how, you know, business owners can incorporate their values, even being limited on time and resources by giving back in those ways. I'll start off by saying I have a podcast that I'm starting called Black Dad Unfiltered. And the sole purpose of this podcast is to change the narrative around Black men, particularly Black fathers. And the ancillary impact is to create communities of anyone that touches a Black man and a Black father, right? So our platform is built on giving a voice to a community, bringing resources to those communities, right? And the whole success of it is built on creating a community. When we talk about giving back, and so now we have our, our, our own thinking, anybody who comes in as a guest, what programs, discounts, platforms that you can give to people that are single fathers, single mothers. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So part of it is, is one, sourcing from the community, Right, like I have an intern right now, and I'm teaching them how to create a whole curriculum based on AI. This is a sophomore in, in college. Wow. But I said, my sole purpose is to make sure when you leave me, you can go get a job tomorrow. Yeah. So how do we, everything that I value, how do we put that into the business? So for me, it's when you think about having a business and how can you give back, how are you sourcing some talent, right? Because remember, the hustle culture is bad, but it's still here. So how do we play in the hustle culture? There's people that just want the experience that will work for free. Come on board, but you're not going to drive mail. I'm going to teach you how to do what I do and become my competitor, right? Because education will equip you and now you can go make money. To that point, who we partner with, right? Because my mission is to amplify the voice of the black father. The black father includes a black son, so the podcast also speaks to what it's like to be the son. Yeah. It includes the black man, all the trials and tribulations of a black man. My son is, my son goes to school on the West side, you know, by all intents and purposes, your, your model kid, good citizen, sits on leadership clubs, sports, you name it. Didn't stop him from going into a store and, and a lady saying he stole something and, and no adults there. They, they stripped down a minor. Yeah. This is the reality that I told him will happen. That other people who don't look at us say we made it up. No. So now creating, amplifying that voice so that we can have more stakeholders buy into it. So and I'm saying that because I built a whole model based on a community agenda, right? Yeah. That I believe is going to be tremendously financially successful. And with that financial success, how do I create sub programs, right? to not impact that community. You know who does this real well? Jay-Z. Jay-Z actually has Rockefeller with Long Island mm -hmm. University in New York City in their downtown Brooklyn area. They have a, 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 a production program that they do during the summer. And I, I'm promoting someone on the podcast by accident. So hopefully I get some royalties from Rockefeller, right? <laughs> but they have programs to teach these kids. There's a lot of organizations owned by black individuals that are created, they just don't have the voice to amplify it so that enough people know about it in the communities. So if you were to ask me, go back to the genesis of your thing, how do organizations give back? Source and have programs for development. 
So if you're going to source, be a business owner that actually has a track. I'm going to source you for 14 weeks. And these 14 weeks, these are the end skills you'll have. And they will align with what your skills have. You know what that does for your organization and the community? Because people are like, oh, I want to intern there. I want to intern there. I want to go over there. I have a chance to do this. They're already planning a future. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's it's a little thing, sourcing and but having a plan to source them, right? It's not just about giving money back. I'm talking about sourcing talent, right? Yeah. Next, having a voice, right? An organization like yours, right? Your actual broad digital company, going into some communities and just hosting workshops, mm-hmm. free workshop, digital media, right? And then having stakeholders, the, the JP Morgans, whoever, Gap, I don't care who it is, fund it. So some of these individuals are getting the ability to go into environments and report, record podcasts. What does that do for your business? You're a thought leader. You're an innovator. You have a whole community now that knows about your company that can't use your services, but they know your company. And then you have stakeholders that realize, wait a minute, they have their pulse on a, on a community. I'm going to hire them now, right? So there's little yeah. things we can do in terms of sourcing. There's the whole pro bono, right? We talked about where like, how sure. can we not give too much that mm-hmm, compromises right. an organization, which is why I say find somebody else to pay it. If you sure. have a good enough brand, find somebody else to pay this. And we're sure. going ho- to house it here because this is the g- next generation of talent. Sure. And so the, things like that is like, where do you want to play in, right? You can get your money from over here. But we can still play over here and these communities can benefit and or align with you, right? Whether it's uh, LGBTQ, um, I think A plus, I'm not sure. Uh, but <laughs> whether, right? whether it's people of color, the, what's it called, the BIPOC, whoever aligns is going to align with you and now you have – an advocate, and now you have nonprofits wanting to work with you. Now you have government agencies wanting to work with you. I believe it's very difficult for small business owners to really scale up profit-wise if they don't have some level of imprint in a community, whether it's geographical or segmented or demographic. You you get what I'm saying? It's going to be hard for you to push that barrier because that community is what really, you know, gives you some leverage, I hope I answered your question. I, I feel like yeah, I'm just talking. No, no, honest <laughs> no. to God, Rod, like uh, for real. I mean, that was, it was exciting because, you know, we, um, we interviewed, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to our, um, uh, cannabis marketing podcast with Ricardo Baca. He was the, um, the, is the owner, CEO, founder of Grassroots. Uh, they are a cannabis PR agency in Colorado and they have an internship program that actually inspired us to create our own internship program, which we're going to be taking a look at launching at the end of this year that is specific to people in marginalized communities, getting them into cannabis marketing and teaching them everything they need to know. It's uh, a way for them to give back to the community, to make more diversity and representation in a space that unfortunately, since it's been legalized, has been very white and uh, also a way for them to, you know, bring in talent and and foster new talent who are excited about their organization. 
And that's something that we are taking a look at doing as well. And not just for, you know, college students, college grads, but we see a lot of people who are wanting to make a transition into digital marketing. And so, you know, why limit ourselves uh, and, and mm-hmm. you know, provide that kind of opportunity? Yeah, there's plenty of talent. There's plenty of markets. By the way, there's agencies, government-wise, that will pay if you haven't started paying. There's so many things that you can do. And I love what I'm hearing about that digital market because, again, uh, 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 there's a proverb, right? Our people perish for lack of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> right? So this is how you can pick up communities uh, to your point. And I would advise you in your business, if you have it, create a diverse board of directors. Yeah. Yep. Right? Because a di- create a diverse board of directors that have community at the ethos of who they are. That's another yeah. way organization can be can give back to the community and and it's it's almost a tiered level approach but if you don't know how put a team together that can help you grow your business yeah. but you know that they also have community and at, at mind and eventually the learning curve is short, shortened that you can create the most efficient you know least costly uh when i say profitable we're not talking dollars we're talking about actually impact yeah for your business and then now you have – there's ways to do this that doesn't have to hurt the bottom line. But what we're seeing in this economy um, – and funny enough, triple bottom line came out when I was in um, grad school, which is having the social environment as part of the, 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 the bottom line you know, with your profit. And I'm, I would venture to say, except for your already established major corporations of Fortune 100 – Small businesses, middle America, if you don't start thinking about triple bottom line as part of your business, it's going to be hard to sustain because it's a fight. Your customers are a community and people are looking to break up your community constantly. So build a community that can collaborate. And then all of a sudden you have sustainability. You have your ability to source talent. You have the ability to collaborate, get sponsorships, have a voice. Uh, You know, I'm very big on it. And that's why my podcast is we're going with community focus. And my other business, other than Four Six Media, we actually teach Haitian children who are first, second, third generation how to speak Creole through song, right? So it's like I'm very mission-driven now as opposed to before when I was like, I want to be a billionaire. I'll be just sure. fine with $100 million if I get there. <laughs> like, like I'm going to be just fine. I'm not sure. worried about, you know, <laughs> the baggage fee at JetBlue anymore. Sure, sure. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Rod, so nice. <laughs> right, no kidding. Because somebody who just did a, a, a transcontinental move. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Rod, this has been a tremendous conversation. Sure. And, and we are so grateful for you joining us and, and – uh, giving us this wisdom and this incredible dialogue. Uh, it is really spoken to the spirit, I think, of what we're trying to do here. And uh, I knew we'd be really uh, aligned and, and that you'd be a fantastic guest on the show. Um, I know that you've given us so many action items that are really critical. Um, you know, I, I'm happy to move on to your your biggest regret or worst story ever, but do you have any additional action items that you'd want to drop in? No pressure. We can move forward. If not. No, no. I, I thought about it and I wrote some things down. And th- what I'm about to say is not rocket science. We've all heard it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to speak to your audience, whether you are an employee, entrepreneur, solopreneur, you run a business, or just a, a listener that just loves to hear good conversation. I believe having a vision board is critical. 
I just believe it's critical. I believe having a vision board for the organization, you, you, I, you're in the program, I strongly believe in vision statements, strongly believe in them. Vision statements anchor an organization and hold people accountable, right? The vision statement tells me who I hire, how I spend, what I invest into, right? And am I closer to it? So I believe so having a vision and a vision board, a visual board that people can just see because learners now are, you know, diverse. So you have visual learners, but as a person have a vision board. Um, When my son was born and years ago, because my son's about to be 18, I had four character. I actually created four uh, uh, values, core values, and I wrote definitions for them, right? Integrity. We will do in private what we would do in public. So meaning my, our word is our word. Uh, um, resiliency. We will welcome challenge and accept failure. I created actually, uh, and I don't remember the other two because he stopped listening to me. But <laughs> <laughs> No, but really and truly, he, em- he embodies them to this day. Because I wanted to be a good citizen, right? And so my son is, uh, he's, he's a tremendous citizen, actually. And citizenship was another thing, right? You know, we pick the next person up. Uh, and so for me, it was your vision board, same thing in the organization and the core values, but write them out. What do they mean? And I believe those will start helping you make decisions in life, in all aspects of life, where you spend your money, who you spend your time with, who do you give your gifts, talents, and abilities to as an employee mm-hmm. or as an employer, right? I think because if you don't, I once heard somebody say, it's impossible to love someone if you don't love yourself. Because then what are you giving them? So for me, it's dial back into who you are. Be the best version of who you are. And to do that, it takes some reflection. And once you can put that in paper, it says, uh, write it down and make it plain. Then now we can action item this. Yeah. Right? And so I strongly believe in writing it, visualizing it. Right. I believe another action item is whoever you are, build your team, build your team. If it's an employer, get your board of advisors that are free. If it's middle management, get your team of three or four people that can help you grow within an organization and grow, whether it's uh, status wise, responsibility wise or your voice, because some people have to teach you how to do that as well. And even if you're just an individual that has dream and aspiration, build a team of people around you that have reached a little further than you have that can guide you. Mentorship is is is, is critical. Uh, as you know, I, I I think you said you uh, had your church group, and I know you studied, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's a there's a saying, right? Uh, wisdom and understanding is worth more than gold and pearls. Yeah. Right. Focus on, on that. So build your team because you, nobody grows in isolation, right? That Those are the tips I would give that are very practical, implementable, and then find your why. If I gave you a second one, my why. Why do I do this? And then what do I want to leave behind? Yeah. You, you follow what I'm saying? What do yeah. I want to leave behind? And as I get older, the what I leave behind is so important to me now. I want my kids. And funny enough, people want to be a billionaire. I want my kids to be like, that movement, that cause, that change, that building, that was my dad. 
not yeah. necessarily my dad was a billionaire. This is what my mm-hmm. dad did for the community or our people or for this. Or, that's what I, and that's what I take pride in, with, even with the business owners. My kids are proud that, Dad, wow, you keep working with these business owners and changing their families, right? So I, I know yeah. that was uh, a little bit longer, and I gave some explanation, but I think those yeah. are some, you know, I can go to technical financial tips, but I think it really starts with who are you? And that's yeah. the fight we're having in this country right now. Who are we? as an individual and what do we want to be and where do we want to be and what means what's important to us and the why. And then from there, I can now make decisions. It creates the subjective board, objective board. I'm like, Oh, I got this. It conflicts with that. I'll tell you a quick story. And I know I'm running out of time. You're okay. (laughs) All right. I think I shared it with you. I'll share with everyone else. So I had an opportunity to take over 51% ownership of a business that was in the Bronx. Right. I left a previous venture because I wanted to be close to my children in, in, in Brooklyn, New York. And it was lucrative. I knew I could take the the business, quadruple their revenue easy. I just felt my, myself. But I said, if I go there and I commute to the Bronx from Brooklyn, when will I see my kids? When can I coach? Why am I why am I pursuing money? Okay. And I said no. Right? Don't regret it. And that's the thing. When you have your why, you don't regret. You make decisions, you deal with the outcome. You you get what I'm saying? And so that's that story. So those are my tips. Long-winded as all. I love it. I love it, truthfully. Well, like I said earlier, and I had prepped you for this in advance, of course, we do tell the uh, worst thing that ever, that, that uh, worst mistake I ever made, rather, uh, stories. Uh, we have our, all of our guests tell them because we're trying to normalize the idea that, like, hey, we're humans, we make mistakes, we fail, we get back up, we move forward. Uh, because we believe that by normalizing some of these things, maybe we can become okay with learning and improving and uh, healing divides inside of our yeah. country because we don't have to be right. We can instead be human. Uh, so can you tell us maybe uh, your story of the, the worst mistake you ever made in business? I know you also had a, a regret one. So it really dealer's choice. I'll go with the worst story, right? Because in this, in this conversation, uh, I think it's, the, it's more apropos. And I've been dying to use the word apropos. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so in my, in my career, I've worked with, again, a decent amount of businesses, right? Uh, Education-wise, I've been able to obtain certain levels of education. I give you that to give you context, right? I know what I'm doing. And so I started a a real estate company with one of my good college teammates, so upstate New York, and um, we bought our first property because, again, the why. You know, I want to build things and leave things behind so my children's children. And we're doing well. Business is making decent, fairly money, money profit. We're getting ready to, you know, look at another profit profitably. I turn a blind eye because it's a cash flow business, right? It's just get them, get the rent, make sure we're not paying too much. You know, we're good. I get a phone call. I think March twelfth. Hey, uh, Rod. I say, hey, what's up? He's like, yeah, uh, yeah the tenant uh, set the house on fire. Uh, I think their son uh, was was probably smoking, fell asleep, and the house, you know, the, the first floor of the house caught on fire in the back. I said, okay. He said, yeah, call the insurance company because I do all the administrative stuff. I said, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Because he's out there and engineering his, you know, his thing. I said, okay, cool. As soon as we hung up, I said, wait a minute. When's the last time I paid the insurance in the house? Because mm-hmm. when I set it up, I made one annual payment. I said, I haven't seen a bill in a minute. Huh. 
the little bubble guts. Is that what they call it? My stomach mm. started churning like. Yeah. Oh. I was like, so oh. So I called the insurance company, which will remain nameless. Yeah, I'm calling about my policy XXXX. Uh, you know, we may have to file a claim. Yeah, your policy lapsed. I said, how far ago? Well, it lapsed six months ago, and then we gave you a three-minute extension, and you're three minutes past that. Three months, sorry, three months, not minutes past that. So I don't have any insurance in the house? No, sir. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I said, how do I? So I said, huh. Now I'm afraid to call my partner. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why I told you what I said before is I'm the one that has the business mind. This is what I do. The mm-hmm. error was the fact that I forgot when I set it up, I forgot to prove that they didn't put the mailing address as our corporate address. They were sending my mail to the tenant. <gasps> An administrative oh. clerical error that cost $150,000. Oh, oh my God. God. That's, that's a big one. <laughs> so I have to call him now. Yeah. I have to call my business yeah. partner because he trusts me. So there's that trust factor, right? Rod, you're this, you've been on this, you were in the Wall Street Journal. Hey, uh, so and so. Yeah, our insurance uh lapsed, the bills were going to the tenant. Yeah, we don't we don't have it. Yeah. And when I tell you the amount of pain I was in emotional because if it Danielle as an owner you know if it's just me I'll deal with it I'll swallow it yeah when people count on you the weight that we hold to make sure that the people that trust us we do not send their trust back void and I have to tell my friend of over shoot 25 years listen I made a hundred fifty thousand dollar mistake uh yeah and for two days, I told him, and for two days, I, someone with all this experience, I had a hard time sleeping. I was like, why, yeah. God? Why couldn't you just be me? Why? And then you start thinking about all the other little things that happened. Yeah. And to his credit, though, he got on the call, and he said, well, let's start troubleshooting. Yeah. And then I went through my own, you know, I'm a spiritual person. At some point, I said, you know what? I just got to pray on this. And, and. And in that, I had to do what I've had to do. Whatever somebody does, that they do what they do to, to kind of ground themselves. But I had to ground myself. And once I grounded myself and, and said, okay, and I got on the next call, I said, listen, I'm going to do what I do best. And what I do best is solve problems. Yeah. That's it. And so, and I did homework. I said, we're gonna, I'm going to call this. And I created a game plan. I said, I'm going to do this, do this. We have this. We're going to do this over the next two weeks. We will get this money. And the next day he called me. He said, I needed you to, I needed that rod. I needed that version of rod. Cause what yeah. was done was done. I needed that guy that I knew that I became a business partner with. Yeah. Needless to say, we were able to recoup a hundred thousand dollars of the money and our house is repaired. Ooh. Oh, it's, in, it's being repaired actually. So great. Yeah. Yeah. You're, mm, that I think that now takes the cake for maybe the more, the most expensive mistake. Was mine, was, mine was, mine uh, was I think only, 30,000, 30 or 40,000. So, but I own that mistake, right? I gave the agency the right information. Yeah. Right. But as an owner, you take that on and that weight is heavy. But when you have the right team, and it just takes a few words, and this is for the people that have, I'm going to speak to the people that have good leaders and support good leaders. It just takes one or two 
kind words to get us back on that horse, yeah. right? To get us to a position where we're going to do what we do best. And what we do best is fight, compete, and win. In yeah. in the kind sense of the word win, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Right? And so, yeah. And it's, it's it, it taught me a lot, though. I look at every eye. I look at every document with a fine-tuned cough now. Like, fine-tuned yeah, sure. comb. Yeah. Like, yeah. wait a minute. Wait a minute. I actually just did an agreement. I said, my, my last name doesn't have an E in this. No, send it back. He sent it to me. Sure, like, sure. <laughs> no mistakes. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine just like the, the PTSD that comes from that. Like, oh, no, I, I feel that. I feel that. Well, Rod, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been uh, such an edifying conversation. Uh, we hope you listeners at home have enjoyed uh, and viewers at home uh, watching us on YouTube have enjoyed this conversation. Please let us know if you've got feedback or other ways that you feel like business owners, uh, everyday people working at companies all over the world, how we can align our business with our values in a better way. That's what we're trying to do here at Target Circuit. That's what we do at Broad Digital Consulting. Uh, and we hope that this conversation is, like I said, been edifying and educational for you as well. If you like what you're hearing, make sure that you uh, like and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on our YouTube channel. Channel and follow us on social media at Target Snarket. We look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Rod, thank you again for thank your you. time. And uh, join us again next week. Oh, please. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>